hardest things is for a local church anywhere in the world is for them to try to live into what it means to be a multicultural church. It's a lot easier just to stay with people who look like you and think like you. But it's not the church Jesus died to create. It's not the church Jesus launched. So I'm thankful for the grace of holding together all the voices that have blessed us this morning. Singing voices, speaking voices, praying voices. Thank you. Can we give it up for 67 degrees this morning? Amen. <laughs> Wonderful. And blessings on all of your ACs at your house. I know this morning, if you're in this place, one of the beauties of watching church online, you get to set your thermostat. And here there'll be some people who would put it on 65, and some of you would put it on 75, but we're in this space. The mission of this church is to help people see Jesus. The vision of this church is around the word awakening. We exist to awaken people to the greatness of Jesus. Because there are so many things in this world that are asking for your eyes to look at it and to focus on it. But the only thing that will sustain us is when our eyes are looking and focusing and directed toward Jesus. Jesus does not have a desire to be a mascot in your life or a get out of hell free card. Jesus wants to be a friend, a sustainer, a life giver, a savior, a Lord, a reconciler. This is what Jesus has to offer us today. We're in a series right now called Pinned. And what I'm doing over the next six or seven weeks is I want to talk about locations in the Bible. I want to talk about specific places. And then I want to unpack that to help you see what happened in these places, why it's important, what this does to your faith, what it did to Jesus in the church, and why this should inspire us to live in whatever location we find ourselves in. And today I want to talk about the Mount of Olives. And on the Mount of Olives is a smaller place called Gethsemane. In the Bible, it's never called the Garden of Gethsemane. Sometimes you have the Garden. A couple of times you have Gethsemane. But the word Gethsemane, if you're taking notes today, the word Gethsemane means a place where oil is pressed. A place of the pressing. That is what Gethsemane means. So in Gethsemane, Gethsemane 2,000 years ago, and even today, if you go there, you will see what looks like this right here. Uh, in short, it's just like an olive crushing machine. It would be a, a concrete slab with a millstone. And in that millstone, you could place a rod or, or a wooden, some kind of wooden pole. And even though it weighs hundreds of pounds, the way they would put these together is a human being or a donkey could press that to push it around. And as it was pushed around, that millstone, it would squeeze and it would, it would squeeze all of the olives, making oil run into jars. And why I think that is significant it's for all places for Jesus to choose, to spend time in prayer, and, to, and for him to choose, to spend the night he was betrayed right before he would die on a cross as he was there in Gethsemane, a place of the pressing, a place where what happened to olives was going to be what happened to him, that the weight he would carry wouldn't just be a weight that would crush olives, it was going to be the weight of the entire world, of the sins of the world, the weight that he had to carry of the responsibility he had been given to be faithful in the moment to help bring salvation and reconciliation to the entire world. He was going to be pressed. And I think this morning of all the things that we come into this worship space, whether you're online or in person with us, that you were carrying in your own life, Happy Father's Day to all the dads in the room and all of those who have been fatherly figures to many of us. We honor you. I woke up this morning with gratitude in my heart for my dad, a dad who has modeled in my life loyalty, a modeled a heart for God, a man who uh, all of my life has been a man who has been in the Word of God. I have been so blessed to have the dad that I've had. 
but I know some of you carry, some of you carry memories this morning of your dad, and they are great memories. And there are other ways we carry a day like Father's Day. For some of us, we may carry it with abuse or neglect or, or memories that may be hard for you to carry, but you have to carry them. And today is also Juneteenth, and there are different ways that we carry a day like this as we think and we process where we've been and where we are going. And here in a couple of weeks, we celebrate July 4th. And as you process Juneteenth and July 4th, and you think about freedom, freedom is here because we had to be freed from something. And history is still being written, and we get to play a part in this. And though we have made progress in many ways, we continue to live and exist for the good of the world. This is what God has called us to do. And there's some crazy things we've had to carry in the year 2022. How we carry things happening in the world and how we carry conversations of how we're trying to navigate faith and life and where is the world going and wars that are happening. You have to carry a lot of this. And we've had to carry the heat of the last week. How many of you have just, like you sweat this past week, you, just checking the mail. Anybody in the house? And my mailbox is connected to my house. I'll still put on gym clothes to check it because... Who knows, all right? I don't know. Maybe, you, uh, I don't know if you saw this this past week, but this made so much sense to me. The sun, the earth, Memphis. That is exactly what it felt like. And I know for some of you, you're carrying the strain of just the economy right now and the gas prices that are crazy and inflation and grocery store prices. And I'm about to have two teenagers in my house. And for years, people have said, you think your kids are expensive now. Wait until they're teenagers. And, and now Casey and I are like, you are so expensive so this past week, I don't know if you saw this, but this was Action 5 News posted this. This pest control company will pay you $2,000 to release 100 cockroaches in your home. And this is why we can't have nice things, right? This is why the world is crazy. And now um, I'm going to be in marriage counseling this week because apparently Casey wanted me to consult with her before I signed on to this contract, all right? I'm just joking, just playing, all right? There are a lot of different things we carry, and I don't want to make light of things that we carry in this space today. But where do you go in your life? Where is the place in your life that you go when you need peace, or when you need joy, or when you need an escape, or your place of prayer? Where's the place you go? And for some of you, you may have a pack, back porch, and it is a place of divine encounter for you, or a room in your house, or maybe you like to go down by the Mississippi River, or Shelby Farms, or Overton Park, or just to get outdoors, or go to Jerry Snowcone, just a place that is a, it's peace to you. It's an, it's an escape. And Jesus had these places. When Jesus was up by the Sea of Galilee, he would go to the mountain. And, and most of the time we read about Jesus on the mountain, we don't read about the content he was praying or what he received from God. You just know he committed to spaces like that. And when Jesus was in Jerusalem, he would go to the Mount of Olives. And it was there on the Mount of Olives, the Garden of Gethsemane, that he would often go. And it was there that Jesus modeled for us a prayer life that was about escaping things in the world and it was about preparing him to engage and to live life. So I want to challenge you this morning as you think about prayer. There are times when prayer for you, that it needs to be an escape. Something has happened in your life, and you need to go to the place of desperation. You need to go to the place out of desperation where you are reaching for hope. For some of you, a place of prayer is where you, you take requests about other people and you take them to God. And it's a, it's a great thing to do. And then for some of you, what you need to think about is prayer is preparation for life. It's preparation for the encounter. And sometimes our prayer lives can become about being in a desperate place and we're reaching for hope or we're praying for other people, but we fail to remember preparation. Prayer is preparation for life.
Let me show you. John chapter 8. It's a story most of us know. Where Jesus goes to the temple, and in the temple, he has brought a woman who was caught in adultery. And it's there in the temple where people would go to worship, and they would offer, offer sacrifices. It was there that he is approached by this group of people, and they are wanting to see, they're, they're wanting to see what Jesus does when they bring him this woman who was caught in adultery. Because the Bible says, and they had a verse on their side, where if you're caught in adultery, you should be stoned to death. Yet in that moment, Jesus had mercy. Had mercy on the woman, literally, Jesus saved her life. But a, a lot of times what we don't see is in John chapter 8, if you go to this right here, here's how the story begins. Jesus went to the Mount of Olives, and at dawn he appeared again in the temple courts. And it's a small little verse to let you know that at night, after a crazy encounter in chapter 7, Jesus went to the Mount of Olives where he spends the night just with God. And he's able to come out of places like that with a heart prepared to be a person of mercy. And for encounters and when people are trying to catch him and test him and bring him a woman just to see what is he going to do in this situation. He's been in the place of prayer. He's been in the place of the presence of God where he is able to live his life full of mercy. In Luke chapter 21, and Luke gives you a couple of places where he talks about the Mount of Olives. Luke says this, in Luke chapter 21, verse 37, each day Jesus would teach in the temple, and each evening he went out to spend the night on the, mount, on the hill called the Mount of Olives. That this was a regular rhythm in the life of Jesus. In chapter 22, verse 39, it says, Jesus went out as usual, or in some of your versions, as was his custom, to the Mount of Olives, and his disciples followed him. So when you think Mount of Olives, I want you to think this is a place that Jesus went to be with the divine presence. This is where Jesus would go to be with God. So when you read crucifixion stories, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, and you read about Jesus going to Gethsemane or in the Mount of Olives, it is a place Jesus would go to to spend time with God. If it was important for Jesus, we need these places in our lives too. I've told this story before. It was about a decade ago. I think it was 2012. I was in the process of finishing my first book, Scarred Faith. It was a book that took about 12 months for me to write this. I, it started out as a journal, and then I kind of switched modes of writing a journal into publication. And I had been told by some friends that there was a place in Kansas City called IHOP, not International House of Pancakes. I'm sure authors have, got, have written books out of International House of Pancakes before, but it's a place called International House of Prayer. And I've been told that our authors, especially authors who were Christians, would go to this place, and they would go and they would write. So I decided I was going to go and I was going to finish my book there. It's a, a, a prayer house. Since 1999, there's a round-the-clock prayer that's been happening in this place. Uh, every day, there's always music and a, a room that holds about 1,000 people where people go and they pray and where authors can go and set up at tables. And while they're being surrounded by prayer, they can write. It's a little more charismatic than most of us have experienced, but I'm able to kind of settle in some of those places. But the thing is... A few weeks before this trip that I had already booked, I finished my book. So I was going to cancel the trip. Yet Casey came and she said, Josh, it's been a really crazy season. My mom's already coming to spend time. So I think you should go and just spend a few days in prayer. I was like, Casey, there's a lot of things going on in Memphis right now. I think I should stay here and work. And she said, I think you could use a little time with Jesus. And that's kind of how she said it. Like, I think you could use a little time with Jesus. It may have just been some pride in my life. I didn't like the way it came across. 
So it was one of two times in my life I responded to Casey by saying, your mom needs to go spend a little time with Jesus, all right? And I didn't really mean her mom. It's just all I could think about in the moment. Like, I don't need, like, I'm fine. Jesus and I are good. And she was like, you need a few, ta- few days with Jesus. So I went with no agenda, but for three days to be with God. And all I took with me was one prayer from Psalm chapter 139, verses 23 and 24. That says, search me, O God, and know my heart. Test me. Lead me in the everlasting way. I prayed that prayer hundreds of times that first day. When I sensed God speaking to my spirit and say, I need you to keep praying the prayer, because right now you really have no clue what you're asking me for. And over the next day and a half to two days, I felt like the Lord just stripped down things in my life, like just peeled back my heart to see idols that had been created, unhealthy emotions that were there. And by God's grace, on the third day, God began kind of piecing me back together. And I was able to come back from this place of hope, having been in the divine presence. For some of you, it's not going to work where you're going to have three days to go and be with God. But what does it look like in your own life? And there are two things I often talk about that strike me with fear when it comes to the presence of God. One is this. What if nothing happens? Will I keep coming back? And I'm sure you've had those moments or those seasons of prayer where you're trying to honor time with prayer, but you just don't feel like anything is happening. It's what Philip Yancey calls prayers just bouncing off the ceiling. Like I'm trying to connect to God, but I'm just not feeling anything. And what happens when you go through seasons and you don't feel like anything is happening? And my other fear is this. What if something does happen? What if I honor time with God and there is a revelation? or a mystery, or a conviction? Do I want to hear what God has to say about my life? Jesus, when he was at the Sea of Galilee, would go to a mountain near the sea. When he's in Jerusalem, he would go to the Mount of Olives as a place to be with God. And it was there that Jesus let all emotions out. The night he's betrayed, it's there that Jesus prayed in tears and with sweat and with drops of blood. He even asked God to take the cup from him. Let's do something else. Take this cup from me. And it's there Jesus surrendered to the will of God. Jenny Allen, in her book called Get Out of My Head, she says this. Why is the simplest, best thing for our soul's long-term health so crazy difficult to do? I'll tell you. Because real, connected, intimate time with Jesus is the very thing that grows our faith, shifts our minds, brings about revival in our souls, and compels us to share Jesus with others. It's where the spiral stops. To put it plainly, all hell is against us meeting with Jesus. Like Satan's going to do every can, everything he can to keep us from the presence of Jesus. There's an emerging field right now of neurotheology. This neuroscience of religion. It's scientists who are studying people who pray and meditate. And what they have fi- found is that quiet meditation quite literally changes our brains in a healthy way. Scientists have found that the brains of people who spend hours in prayer a week and meditation, times of just being in the presence of God, that they're different. Their brains are different. Their brains are healthier. There's increased alpha waves, which is the relaxed brain waves, which in result decreases anxiety and depression. A study from UCLA found that long-term meditators had better preserved brains than non-meditators as they aged. 
And some of you may be thinking, do you want a well-preserved brain or is it too late for you to try to have one, right? Jesus went to the Mount of Olives to be blessed and to wrestle and to be with God. Now, one way I want you to think about the Mount of Olives, it's a place for divine connection. But here's another way I want you to think about it. So a lot of times when I write sermons or I have these ideas, it just sends me all over the place. And sometimes I'll want to know, what, what did the Mount of Olives mean for Jesus? And then I went on this chase to find where the first mention of the Mount of Olives is in the Bible. And do you know where it is? It's in 2 Samuel chapter 15, and it's a dark moment. Where David had been king for years. And then David had a son, Absalom, who decided that he wanted to be king. So he rallied his people, and he came up with a plan that they're going to shout, and they're going to make him king, and they're going to take out his own dad and like all of his people. Like he, he had put together this plan that was so well thought out and so well planned that David knew he had to flee the city. So the first mention of the Mount of Olives in the entire Bible is in 2 Samuel chapter 15 and verse 30 when you get this. David continued up the Mount of Olives, weeping as he went. His head was covered and he was barefoot. All the people with him covered their heads too and were weeping as they went. And in verse 32 it says, When David arrived at the summit where people used... They used to worship God. So apparently there, there was a place of worship. But the first mention of the Mount of Olives is a story of rejection. It's David who's rejected by his own son and some of the other people he had been close to. And in rejection, he and his people went to the Mount of Olives. And this is the same place where Jesus was the night before he, was, the night before he died when he was rejected where Jesus was in the Mount of Olives would have looked something like this if he showed this image and I showed this last week this is a picture from the Mount of Olives and the only thing separating the Mount of Olives in Jerusalem is a valley that it's easy to walk through just a couple of miles and after the Passover supper of that last week of the life of Christ he decided which would have been at night in the dark to go to the Mount of Olives to pray and if you're on the Mount of Olives praying and you can see over Jerusalem, there's a good chance that if there was a group of people, a mob, carrying torches who were coming to arrest you and you knew something like that was going to happen, that it, it didn't happen in a way where Jesus was praying then he opened his eyes and boom, they're there. He could have seen them coming all the way from Jerusalem, all the way through the valley, up the mountain, and to know that Judas, who led the way, Judas knew, that this night, I know exactly where to find Jesus. Because the place he goes, it's a place he goes to be with God. And Judas knew that the place of divine presence is the place where he was going to find Jesus. It became a place of rejection. So let me speak about rejection just for a moment. Because I'm sure we got people in the room today people in this worship experience who have experienced forms of rejection from bosses and friends and marriages by parents, maybe by a church. Maybe you feel like there are moments in your life when you've been rejected by God. Lisa Turkhurst has written a couple of books over the last few years in which she talks a lot about rejection. 
And in this uh, last book she wrote, she talks about, she says this, rejection piggybacks on physical pain pathways in the brain. That MRI studies show that the same areas of the brain become activated when we experience rejection as when we experience physical pain. And this is why rejection hurts so much. In fact, our brains respond so similarly to rejection and physical pain that Tylenol reduces the emotional pain rejection elicits. And maybe this explains a lot that when you've experienced rejection in your life, maybe that's why you are, you're nauseated or you get a headache or your back hurts. Rejection and physical pain often go together. And Lisa talks about this. Now, Lisa was a woman whose husband cheated on her a few years ago. They've been reconciled, but she writes a lot about forgiveness. And she wrote in her last book on resentment and bitterness. And here's what she said. Resentment usually is attached to a specific person for a specific incident. Bitterness is usually collective feelings of all our resentments. And she writes this. Bitterness isn't just a label we place on people and the feelings around the hurts they cause. It is like liquid acid seeping into every part of us and corrupting all it touches. Jesus was rejected and had every reason to become bitter. But he didn't because he was committed to the presence. And I know this can be so hard to do, but when you experience forms of rejection in your life, you can make it through it if you stay committed to the presence of God. Stay committed to the presence. So a couple of ways you could take home this sermon today. And one, there may be somebody here, and what you need to hear is that the Mount of Olives is a place of the divine presence. It's a place Jesus would go to be with God, and you need these places where you can be with God too. And I know how some of us are wired is that we would choose three days of 12 hour, 12 hour days serving other people. We would choose that over 10 minutes of silence because any form of silence scares us to death. But if we want to be people of justice and people of compassion and people of service and people who care about coming, coming alongside of the poor, we have to follow Jesus to the mountain not just the places of compassion. It's where the heart is cultivated. It's where our connection to God grows deep. So start small if you need to start small. A couple of minutes a day, just commit to the presence of God. And what some of you may need to hear today is that the Mount of Olives was also a place of rejection. Yet even in the rejection was a divine presence that allowed Jesus to maintain a life and to keep a life of being obedient to God no matter what. So maybe today could be a turning for you where you think back to June 19th, 2022 is the day you committed to spending more time with God consistently. And maybe this is a day of turning for you where some of you realize you have allowed resentment to make you bitter toward other people or to God. And one of the best practices in my life, especially when it comes to communion, and this shift came in my life probably 10, 12 years ago, where I tried to stop using language of taking communion, and I began using language of receiving communion. 
that it's not that we take the bread and the cup as much as we receive the bread and the cup. And when you receive something, you have to open up your hands. And you have to let go of something so that you have room to embrace it and to receive it. So may the bread and the cup for us today remind us of the God whose voice invites us into the presence. And may communion today open up our hands and to let go of any resentment or bitterness that we are experiencing in our lives. May it be a day of beginning for you, a new path of being set free of the things that are holding you down. Can we bow our heads and close our eyes? And let's pray. And God, in prayer, I just want to acknowledge the forces that we are up against, that Satan's going to do everything he can to keep us from your presence and from your heart, placing every distraction in front of us. And through it all, Jesus, we pray that you will be victorious in the small things, the small moments we have with you, that as distractions come, that we will surrender them to you. And God, I just pray that you will invite people into your presence this week, whether it's with a shout, a whisper, a tap on the shoulder, a nudge, a feeling in the, in the heart, a feeling in the gut, just invite us into your presence. And God, if there are things that we need to let go of today, Jesus, remind us and teach us that in moments of rejection for you, you didn't let it make you bitter. You remained a person connected to the heart and mission of God. And it's who, deep down, it's who we want to be too. So may the bread and the cup be medicine for our soul today. Through Christ we pray. Amen. We're going to have a shepherd. Mark Powell is going to be up front to receive you. If there's anything, we can pray for you. We'll have a shepherd in the back by the exit signs who will be there for a few minutes after worship to receive you for prayer. And over the next few minutes, you're invited at your own pace to make your way to one of the tables. Come and receive the bread and the cup.